Some time ago, a 15-year-old girl had a baby. That baby girl would be adopted and go on a journey of life that would take her from Iowa to Oklahoma to New Mexico to a tiny town in Utah where she found the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That girl would grow to become one of the most incredible people I know and a very cherished friend. This story includes everything from heartbreak and loss to eventual dreams coming true. It is the story of Lisa Church. This is Converted, a podcast which highlights stories of those who have come into the fold of Christ's restored church. The views expressed in this program are those of the guests and host and do not represent official church statements. My name is Tiffany Unsworth, and I'm so grateful you would consider listening to another great story of one of my friends in the faith. All right, folks, I am here with my friend Lisa Church, and it is so fun to have the chance to talk with Lisa. We have been friends for quite a while. We have children the same ages, and so we've been running in the same circles for several years, and and so she is a good friend, and she's graciously offered to share her conversion story. So, Lisa, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about your history, about your growing up years. Yeah, I'm happy to, and thank you for the opportunity. It's it's good to um, talk a little bit about, you know, the non-normal upbringing that I've had. Um, you know, I'm not the typical uh, square box <laughs> LDS Mormon woman, I guess is what you can say. And my conversion story isn't like you know, pink ribbons, bows, unicorns, and rainbows. And so (laughs) I think that makes it, you know, a little bit different. I I came from kind of a different upbringing. Um, My my parents were divorced at a really young age. Uh, My mom, dad, he was a factory worker. My mom was a nurse. Uh, My dad went to Vietnam. So the normal kind of uh, typical 70s parents, you know, bell-bottom jeans and the Brady Bunch, (laughs) you had this image of what your life would be. But my parents were a little different. My dad was an alcoholic. My grandpa was an alcoholic. So there is that family history kind of thing there. And at the time, you know, this is the the, the kind of pre-Elvis thing, you know, (laughs) my mom finally said, you know, I'm done. And she said, okay, we're done. My parents got divorced. And so we were kind of figuring that whole single parenting thing out in the 70s which was hard I mean that was at the time yes that was very unheard of kind of of uncommon kind of uncommon and so my mom you know was was looking for something to kind of get some help there and she kind of started dating the neighbors and you know it was a weird 70s thing but and you were how old again so I was in elementary school so I was still really little oh that's so hard so I was really little so it was just me and my brother and my mom and my grandparents lived far away so we didn't have like that whole family like structure thing yeah. with us. It was just mom and my my brother and I. And we were both adopted too. So Whoa. that whole dynamic was was really bizarre. We were adopted from different parent different birth parent sets. So you didn't have that whole like I said family dynamic of aunties uncles close. None Interesting. Of that. And did they adopt you as babies? As babies. As babies. So it's all you remember. All I remember we just had a mom and a dad and a and me and my brother. That was it. 
So that added a dynamic. Yeah. Okay. So then my mom kind of started dating, which got weird. And um, it wasn't like a super choice. It wasn't one of those things. The, the, the man that she had dated was somewhat abusive early oh, wow. on. And so she decided to pick up, sell a house, move us from this little town in, in Iowa down to Oklahoma. Just picked us up, threw us in a U-Haul, and moved us south. Wow. So bizarre. Yes. You know, elementary. Topsy-turvy. Topsy-turvy elementary school bizarre, right? Mm. And so we just hopped in mom's car and away we went. Did you have people in Oklahoma? Nope. She, she just picked it. She picked it. She looked for jobs in places that were pretty far away. Mm-hmm. And, and mind you, that's far away from even like her mom, my grandma, any of that. She just found this great job at a big hospital in, mm-hmm. in Oklahoma and said, we're going to go there. Like, you know, dart on a dart on a board. Wow. I know. That brave was, soul. Brave soul she was. Yes, she was. <laughs> and so we picked up and left. But at the time... I think she kind of didn't want to do things by herself. And so she was still really hesitant about being alone, trying to raise two kids. So she went back and married that neighbor that was kind of abusive. And it was one of those things. She went back, married him, and showed up with him. (gasps) Back at the house. Back at the house. In Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. And unless you know someone who's been in an abusive relationship, it doesn't make sense? It does not. It's it's very, very... um, consuming because people have a really 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 different view of what love is yeah yeah and if you haven't been part of that and my mom love her she's she's a saint she really she's a neat lady you know um when you're stuck in it in a historic abusive situation that's usually a circle of life kind of a thing you know you have yeah. a you have a mom a grandma I mean like there's there's a whole pattern there over time mm-hmm. that's usually how those things develop and And she kind of got wrapped up in that. Hmm. And, you know, she brought him back, married. All of a sudden, you have a stepdad. Wow. Hi. Surprise. Surprise. Um, And so we all moved in together, had a house. And, and, you know, this was probably sixth grade-ish. So, you know, just Mm. the end of primary school kind of time. And we're all living in this house. And it didn't get a lot better, Mm -hmm. you know. So you remember her being, like, were you aware that she was being abused? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so I can remember my brother getting thrown across the floor into a dishwasher. You know, back that kind of, that kind of abuse. So this was late 70s, early 80s. And yeah, that's a long time ago, but I can remember those things. And I can remember bruises on my mom. We can remember instances of, you know, and there's not a lot of people that do this, but I can remember going to a women's shelter as a a primary kid, age kid. You know, going in there, and it was about Easter time. And the, the funny thing about it, and the reason I remember that, is because this women's shelter that we went to, you know, to spend the night, it was a safe place, getting out of the house. They had um, a lady that would come in, and I wish I could remember her name, but she was kind of the director of the center, and she would do things with the kids to take their minds off of <sighs> what was going on. Bless her. And so the funny, if you've ever made those little like where you take balloons and cover them with glue uh-huh. yarn, you yep. know, like with your kids yep. at Easter. And it dries and, and it you dries pop and, it. And you pop it and make the legs. We were doing that. And that stuck in my brain. Huh. Because I can remember that because it took my mind off of what was going on. Wow. So that was a, that was a funny thing I, I thought about today. You yeah. Know, I'm like, oh, well, we were making balloon eggs. 
But that was it one was of the, a little escape. It was an escape. Like, they made sure you had crayons and pencils and hmm. you know all these things to not think about. And I can remember going to grandma's for weekends and just you know different things. It sounds like you had to grow up really fast. Did like, I think there was a there was a lot of times you know where, you know once we finally she got out of that environment again, and this is gonna as the story progresses you'll see. In the long run, my mom ended up living with that man until she died, <gasps> long term. But they officially got divorced, uh-huh. and she raised my brother and I as a single parent through, um, like middle school, high school, things like that. Mm. She kept us separated, and then when I finally moved out, got out of the house, you know, college and stuff, she she moved back in, and you know, they stayed together. It was, you know. Abusive relationships, like you say, people have a very different view of love, and I think they get very comfortable with each other and patterns. Sure. And so I think that's what happened with my mom. She just felt that's where she was going to be forever and stayed there. Wow. Wow. So different situation. But when I was in high school, middle school, and that was the time we were, you know, by ourselves, we were in an apartment, and it was this little bitty place my mom and I shared a room and my brother had a bedroom and so we were just (laughs) tight and close in these little spaces and she kind of let us make our own choices with Mm -hmm. religion and it's not that we didn't have religion in our home per se we didn't have like organized religion my grandmothers were catholic my mom was brought up catholic okay and um but they weren't my mother was not practicing at all Okay. Not practicing Catholic at all. I can even remember when she was, um, was she was really sick and she was just before she died, the Catholic priest came in to her room at the hospital mm. and said, you know, do you need to do confessions or do all of this? And she just kind of looked at him like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to start now. not going to start now. I'm 67 years old. I'm passing away. So, you know, so she didn't, she didn't feel that she, but she could. It was really interesting because she she let us choose yes no, hmm. and I had a lot of friends um, in high school where I went to school in Oklahoma, big area, nine hundred kids in the school, giant, and a lot of it's the whole Southern Baptist yeah you know thing and yeah and so that's that's who I went to school with so that's kind of how I migrated. Wow, had some good friends and they would pick me up on Sundays, take me with them. You know, and at that point in my life, I needed something organized. Yes. And that was and that was a safe space and a safe place. I could go on Sundays and could go on Wednesdays because they had youth groups. And, you know, yeah. it's very similar as far as structurally wise. You know, they mm-hmm. have a Sunday and they have a Wednesday and it was a good safe space. Absolutely. You know, and, and they helped you find Jesus. They did. They did. They reinforced that need that I had I think mm-hmm. that I because I knew you know I was brought up with with God and and, and Jesus and the whole mm-hmm. Holy Spirit thing uh-huh. but I think they kind of have a, just a different view of uh-huh. things you know uh-huh. and it's it's funny because I look at my life and I say I was sprinkled when I was born <laughs> I was dunked when I was 13 how about that but I was baptized as an adult okay so you kind of look at when you actually learn about the priesthood line of authority and what that really means, mm. you can sure see a difference. Really? And that is one of the big things as I've progressed through my life that I was able to see. 
Hmm. You know. Yeah. Really, yeah. really, really, really neat thing. Well, that goes through high school, college-ish, you know, my mom's raising my brother, doing these things. Um, we're growing up, and my mom was a tough lady, but it still was a probably a different upbringing than most kids have had. There's not a lot of kids, I think, today in this little community where we live that can say that they dealt with their mother's hangovers from a bar, wow. you know, or had to put their mom to bed. Wow. Or woke up with different people in their house that they didn't go to, you know, start the day with. Wow. But my mom was searching, I think, most of her life for comfort. And and I think that's why long term she ended up going back. To what she knew. To what she knew. My mom was a single mom for when I was a teenager. And now that I'm raising kids, I think, how did she do it? How do single parents do it? You just have to admire so much of what they do bearing the brunt of parenting I think so. all on their own and they find a way for what they seek for comfort they yes. find a way mm-hmm. whether it's you know an alcohol direction or a, some people exercise or some people eat or whatever that is for that mm-hmm. person I think they find it but as single parents they have a tougher time yeah. Just because of the state and the place that they're in in their lives, trying to put food on the table and pay the bills and, yeah. you know, it's it's different. I, you know, I, I kind of thought about that today is like we didn't go on family vacations. We didn't, mm. you know, there's just things that other kids and families did that we couldn't do because we couldn't afford to. Right. You know, did I starve? Absolutely not. Did I have clothes on my back? Yes. <laughs> you know, my mom took care of us. Those times with, 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 with it would just be my mom and my brother and I and, and we did a lot of, um, I guess it would be more like uh, spending time together at home, you know. We had a family dinner when we could, mm-hmm. you know. My mom would throw a roast in the crock pot on a Sunday, and, and if we could eat dinner because she wasn't working, we would. She worked a lot of 12-hour shifts at a hospital. So she was, when she worked, she worked hard and she was gone. Yeah. She was not home. And so we luckily had a lot of friends to drive us to whatever we were doing. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't, you know, whether it was a music lesson or whatever it was, you know, we had to have friends take us and neighbors or whatever. So it was, it was, you know, different, but it was still good. You know, my mom loved her to death. Neat, neat lady. Wouldn't trade her. But I went through college, kind of got to that, graduated, started leaving the nest thing. And um, we kind of went, I went to school, I did a, did a year at home school kind of thing, you know, with a junior college and stayed mm-hmm. and, and did that and then um, worked my way to a university and, and moved away from home. And that first year, that first year I got really sick and I had to come home from school and I got diagnosed with Epstein-Barr. And so, yes. And so I got that, what they called chronic fatigue syndrome at the time. Lisa. So... <laughs> So I was home for about six months till they figured out what that was. And it was obviously viral at the time, you know, and that's, you know, they had probably picked it up at school. And so I missed about six months of school. But then um, it was kind of like having almost like mono. It was like a really bad mono. And that kind of got me me home going, I have got to get out of here. I've got to get school done so I can do something with myself. That was a really good reflecting time mm. for me. Um, at the time, it kind of was not fun. Right. Because you're in bed all the time. And so mm. I kind of got through that over time and, and 
jetted my dairy berry back to school. I'm like, <laughs> I've got to do something. I know this is not where I'm this supposed to be. This is not where I want to be. So got back into school and just pushed my way through. And so I was not the typical four-year college student. It was the five-year college student. Sure. But I pushed my way through. I, you know, I had friends. I probably had a pretty typical back east southern college experience, you know. You go to church on Sundays. I worked. Um, you know, I sang in a choir, did things with friends. But did I drink on the weekends? Absolutely. Did I go to a bar? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Because that's what that's college, what college students, students do. do. You yes. know? <laughs> I did my laundry. I fed myself. And I went to school and worked and did all of those things. You know? Was this in Oklahoma? It was in Oklahoma. And what's really, really interesting about this time was my mom had this friend, and her name was J.K., and I know that sounds really funny, but because <laughs> now there's like Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling, but this was honestly this woman's name. She was Hawaiian. They were from oh. Hawaii. And she had a son at the time, and she was my mom's drinking and going out buddy. Okay. But they were, um, she was a baptized LDS member of the church, and her son was getting ready to go on a mission. Interesting. Interesting. And so I didn't know a whole lot of about it other than it was kind of a cool thing. And he ended up going to Canada. Hmm. And that was something that my mom and I had discussed. I was like, why in the world would this woman send her child <laughs> to Canada far away? And at the time, I think there's a funky little seed that gets planted of curiosity sure. that you don't realize till later in your life, till you see little little things grow and, and like that and I think mm -hmm. at the time I'm like that's just weird mm -hmm. and I still I think even now that I've sent two of my own children mm -hmm. on missions it's still weird to me that we do that sure you know but I see the purpose behind it so at the time I thought this is the, and you pay to do like you spend your <laughs> own money to send your children away <laughs> what? across the world oh <sighs> That would have piqued your curiosity. It did because the place where we were living, you know, LDS kids were so not normal. <laughs> and I don't mean like they were weird. Sure. I just mean it was not the norm. Peculiar. It, they were peculiar mm -hmm. and they were rare. It was rare because okay. there was every other religion on a corner. Yeah. But that. Okay. You know, you live down the street and there's a Baptist and a Methodist and a Catholic church and a televangelist on TV. But you don't see very many little Mormon chapels all over. Sure. And the the churches that I did go to, they really spit anti-LDS rhetoric to these kids. So you're looking at teenage kids in a church, and they talk to them about why, why Mormon kids or LDS kids are so bad. Mm. And that really bugged me. Sure. And I think that was another little seed that was planted in my whole um, scheme of life when I was it was a teenager because I'm like, why would you say such bad things about other people that believe in in the Savior and believe in Heavenly Father? Why would you do that? Just because you don't like believe the same X Y Z points that they do, that's not okay. Sure, to take worship time. To yeah, to do that, to do that. I I just thought that was really not okay. So I can see early on in my life there were two little seeds that were planted. They may have been mustard seeds, but they were <laughs> tiny, but they were planted. Hmm. 
So I went through college, you know, got through that phase of my life. And I'll call it a phase because we all have them, okay? Sure. You know, and it came time for me to be a grown-up, which was that phase I think our children all enter. And I had some choices to make. You know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Um, I had was just getting close to graduating. I was, was on that little edge there. And um, I had been dating a boy. He was from Texas. And we had continued to date long distance. He was in a master's program in Texas and I was kind of doing my thing and, and, you know, started kind of moving around and getting different jobs and we still corresponded and I kind of, you know, had to figure out what to do. But, um, all of a sudden the time came and, and we were still kind of corresponding and I got engaged to this young man, you know, kind of over distance and, at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. We had been dating for a couple of years, pretty steady. Mm-hmm. Um, we had similar interests. But again, you know, you don't see kind of that pattern developing. He was really overbearing. I didn't see it. Really? Yep. And Crazy. Crazy. You don't History see History repeating. Uh-huh. History was repeating itself. I didn't see it. After the fact, when we get to this point where we, you know, you know, broke up and did some things, all of this stuff comes out from my family. Oh, he was terrible. He would have been wretched for you. He was so bossy. And I'm like, what? Why did you tell me that before mm. I wasted two years of my life? Mm. And, you know, we, we dated and I was this long distance engagement thing. And um, we got to within about 30 days of my wedding. And wow. I broke it off brave 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 break off and you just got a sick feeling I got a sick feeling I had at this time I had kind of settled on my grown-up job I was working um I had moved to Fillmore Utah at the time (laughs) which was a big change yeah um I had been living in Grants New Mexico of all places on the earth working for the Forest Service in kind of a lesser position and they said well your job is going to be, we're done. Like we're not going to have your job anymore, but you can go to Northern California or Fillmore, Utah. We'll move you there. And I said, I've never been to either of those places. Tell me about them. And they said, well, if you go to Fillmore, you need to worry about, you know, that's Utah. There's Mormons there. (laughs) And you need to worry about that. And I'm like, why? I'm like, who are these people? Is this a bad thing? They said, no, just you need to talk to one before you go. And I'm like, is this like a Barbie and you need to pull the string and talk to someone? (laughs) So they literally sent me to Albuquerque, New Mexico to talk to the only Mormon employee or LDS employee in the whole, this whole forest where I worked. (laughs) One guy. They said, oh, he's great. He makes the best Dutch oven rolls. Like, and you're like, (laughs) this is the guy's life. He's like a cook and you make him cook for... And I said, okay, let me go talk to him. I'm like, I'm sure it's fine. But, and so I sat down with this man and I look back on it now and he was just a very calm, he was an engineer, like a road engineer that built roads and stuff. And he just says, you don't need to worry about this. People are fine and they're nice and they're kind and they're loving. And he said, you will do just fine. Hmm. So I think he was another one of those seeds that was planted along my path. Hmm. To just say, you know, this is just a part. It's culture. It's a culture thing. Sure. And I, he says, don't worry. It's just culture. It'll be fine. But I think it was that culture 
that really kind of sucked me in to um to see because when I was was starting off my little life in Fillmore America you know I got to see a lot of things that I wasn't really familiar with you didn't see unless there was a big giant Catholic family of like 15 kids <laughs> right you know I was used to my little mom and brother kind of tiny family no oh, there was five and six kids in these big families when I moved to Utah they all had Sunday dinners together and they all played on ball teams and you know, they played basketball in the gym and they did all of these really neat things. And, you know, they were just kind people. And I'm like, where have these people come from? Mm. You know? Yeah. I had, I had found kind of a little Baptist church in the town where I was going, but it was tiny and it was small and there wasn't a lot of people there. And I kind of was, I won't say I was floundering, but I was just kind of living Trying to find your place in this, yep. yeah, it felt a little foreign. It felt really foreign, and I, and you know, I lived by myself, of course. Very brave. You know, it was a time, and I'm like, and I ended up, there was a little gal that worked for us that first summer at the office where I worked, and she was my age, and she had come home from school for the summer, and she says, just come over to my house. My mom will just, just you know, take you in. And we would go to eat together and we helped coach softball and we did all these really fun things that summer. And I was just amazed at their family and how neat that was, Hmm. you know, and how, you know, how close knit their family was. And so I got really, really close with her mom Hmm. and she, she always call, I always call her, I call her grandma Susie now, you know, (laughs) but at the time her, her name is Susie and she was a nurse at the hospital there. She was working. She was still raising. She still had kids at home. She was raising. And she just kind of, you know, was come in, sit on my couch, eat with my family, just, and I would just do that. Awesome. You know, it was the neatest thing. She's like, if you're lonely and cold, she's like, stay. We have the room, you know. And so we would go coach softball games for little, you know, the little girl that was in the house. And then We'd go and have dinner or go have pizza or just hang out. And it became a place of solace for me hmm. because I think when you search for light and you see it, you're drawn to it. Hmm. You are so drawn to it. And when you're drawn to that light, you see it even in the smallest of places. Beautiful. And I don't think it has to be a dark place for you to still search for light because you always hear these stories of, you know, I was in this drug addicted ghetto or I was in this you know dark very horrible place you know people's places are very different yeah and so I think even when the light you're searching for is small because you don't need a giant light yeah you can still find it awesome you can still find it and I think that's where I was I was searching for the something like you know because I knew that I needed something whatever that something was that was also about the time I was like you know, what, what's, what's going on here? And that was about that 30 day kind of period. And I'm like, something's not right with this. This doesn't feel right. With the man you were engaged mm-hmm. to. Yep, to. The man I was engaged to. Huh. And, and I'm like, something's wrong. It just, you know, yeah. and I, and I shouldn't have let it probably get as close as I could have. And I did, I let it go too long. I think and to this day, I felt terrible. But that is such a hard thing to do. Oh. I'm sure you just, we're wondering, how do I do this? How do I do? What do I do? Yeah. You know, and as time kind of went, 
I, you know, and, and it was to the point we had wedding invitations and I had a dress and mm. I had rings and I, like all of it. Mm. And I just had to put the about face stop halt. Good for you. Which was crazy. You know, and I look back on it now, I'm like, there were signs too, because I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, there it was like, you rent this big church and you hire a preacher and you mm. do this whole yeah. giant thing. And I couldn't get myself to go through with a lot of those last final steps. I couldn't. Mm. I never hired a caterer. I never, you know, like yeah. you fix a dinner. Here, if you want to feed your kids at a giant wedding, everybody cooks in and makes a casserole and it's great. Yes, there. by the way, Lisa helped me <laughs> feed people when my daughter got married. That's exactly what we do. <laughs> but, there, but there, you cater 100 people mm-hmm. and feed them. And mm-hmm. it's a big to-do. And I never could follow through with the last part of it. Wow. Like I said, I bought a dress. I had a ring, like shoes, like all of it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't do the rest of it. Just didn't feel right. Just didn't feel right. Which, thank goodness I didn't spend all that money on a weird caterer and a picture I didn't know. But, <laughs> oh! Mm. So that kind of kind of ended. And surprisingly, for someone that I had felt so, so dear about, mm-hmm. it didn't hurt as bad as I thought it should. Okay. Which is a sign, Which right? is a sign. I'm really glad, oh. I'm really glad you're not married to him. Uh, I am, too. Because <laughs> I... I look back too, and I think I would have been divorced in a couple of years, mm. just because I don't think it would have worked. And so that was that was a big step. And not too long after that, um, I think that sweet sister saw an opening in kind of a min- member missionary opportunity, because she was, I think, a mom first and foremost, mm-hmm. and she was very secure in her faith. But she was also a convert to the church, and so that was one of the neatest parts about that whole story, because she knew how to culture that um, that light without just throwing it in my face. Mm. She was just calm and quiet. And I think it's, as most converts to the church do, and you can see that with missionaries as they're proselyting, people have so many questions. Yeah, They have questions about garments in the temple, and they have yeah. questions about... You know, what is a patriarchal, but what is a patriarch? What is all, you know, all of these questions. So many things. So many things that are so different. And, mm-hmm. you know, why is, what is priesthood and where does that come from? And why is, why is this person more than, you know, what is the, the whole hierarchy of things? There's a lot. Yeah. When you're not brought up with that, mm-hmm. it is, it's like you need Wikipedia to yes. get through. <laughs> a whole vocabulary. Of new things. Culture, everything. And so she just started from square one. Hmm. And she would answer my questions about this or that. And she started taking me to church with her so I could see sacrament meetings and all of that whole new culture, like you say. And and her biggest thing was, I think it was one of the early, about mid-90s, and it was one of the first times that there was conference on Easter Sunday. Hmm. And she says, well, come and watch it with me. And I said... Susie, you're supposed to always be at church on Easter. Like, that's a thing. She goes, That's what people that's do. That's what people do. You don't watch it on TV. Yes. That's weird. Yes. And she said, Well, she says, I'll go to a church with you today. You finish watching it with me when we get home. Hmm. So she even just took the time to support me in my questions and in my and my whole searching part. She just did that. And her daughter was super good about, you know, hanging out and, you know, trusting and doing all those things. And I and I look back now, and she was just tenderly path building. 
you know, just a brick here and a brick there and not pushing anything, never push. She just, I think it's just, you know, exposure Mm -hmm. and showing this is what we do. This is our life. This is how, you know, I've brought my kids up. This is, this is a day to day thing. And that to me, I think was, was the spark. Like I said, all of those little seeds that were planted Mm -hmm. started to kind of get a little water. Mm. And so over time, you know, she, this was kind of the whole um, work in the glory time when all those 55 volumes of work in the glory came out and kind of a, a fictional history. What is it? What historical fiction, fiction about our early days of the church. Yeah. Yep. And that series, I was, a, I'm a reader mm-hmm. and I really love to read. And so she says, let's get you a little bit of a historical perspective of where the church came from. And how this developed. And so I kind of worked through that and to a point that she said, okay, it's time. And so she got me a Book of Mormon. And she says, just take the time to read and pray about this. Just like a regular missionary would do now, you know, with, with, you know. And I said, well, you know, okay, you know, big, big, big. And so I did that, though, you know, because I do love to read. And I tried to correlate stories. Had I read the New and Old Testament backwards, forwards, upside down, I had read through those books as a kid and through my, you know, teenage years. I knew that, you know, and I trusted in that level of scripture. But I think the neatest part for me was to see that there was more, Mm. that it hadn't stopped. Yes. And so I think deep down inside, we can feel that. And that's, that's the thing is it's a personal that personal revelation that starts as the spirit starts to open our hearts. Mm. And that's what was starting to happen with me. And so I think I was well prepared uh, for, for missionary discussions to kind of happen, but she took the time to let me take those discussions in her home Mm. and she stayed there with me. I bet she she loved it. She didn't just dump me off with a couple of weird teenage boys from gosh knows where, (laughs) but she stayed through every single discussion, Mm. every single one. And, you know, you hear about missionaries talking about that golden convert. And I think at the time I went through those discussions in about two weeks. Oh, wow. And they were able to go through the lessons, you know, pretty quickly and, and put me on a baptism date fairly quick. But she also, the neat part about it was she decided to make that super special with the bishop we had at the time and his wife and and everyone that was there that was working behind the scenes that I never saw. Yeah. You know, because there was a whole ward there that was supporting that I never saw that stuff happening. But yes. she was working through mm. all of that. Creating this network around you yeah and I never saw that happening but it was happening yes and now that you're on this end you see oh, it you totally see all <laughs> the support we have for people and mm. you know that the, the fact that you need to form a nest or a network around a new convert because they need so much yeah and I I think there was that there was a talk in the um mid-90s that um President Hinckley gave at the time and he's the prophet I identify with you know everybody says they identify with a prophet in their life He's the one I identify with because that was part of my conversion story. Yeah. Because he was such a neat, neat um, prophet at the time. But that was my time. Yes. With a prophet. and Oh, I love him. And so he was talking about convert retention. And he kind of talked about some things at the time. And I look back on my own 
conversion experience and there were things that were done spot on exactly right oh they good made disciples sh- in film good disciples in film art, but they made sure i did the after discussions good. they made sure i got busy they yeah. made sure i got a calling right away wow. right right away and i'm like that's what made a difference for me yeah because they put me right into young women's they put me with young people oh good and they let me see those kinds of things that I had missed. Because mm. you don't know what you've missed unless you've never seen it. And right. so I saw how the lessons were given to those girls and to the, to the youth and the activities. And they put me in with young people, which is where I love to be anyway. I love to be around kids and to be around that age of kids. Always, I always have been. And so that was a neat opportunity to see them working on, at the time it was the medallions and the mm-hmm. whole, you know, young kind women's progress, progress and a yeah. prog- personal progress, all of those neat steps. But the neat part about it was they let me do that too. And that was the time when as an adult, you could still earn those medallions as an adult. So great. So that word wrapped itself around me and helped me do those neat, neat things. She also, um, I didn't understand initially what a patriarchal blessing was. Okay. And she took the time. She said, you know, at this point in your life where you're making these changes, she said, this is something you need to do. Mm. She says, don't think it's late. This is just a time. You need to to kind of have a book print, Mm. you know, a footprint of, of a direction to go. And she said, this might help you figure some things out. And I'm like, well, you know, here, I'm a grown-up. I have a job, right? I know where I'm going. She says, no, I I think you need a little bit more. What good counsel. And we haven't talked about patriarchal blessings in this podcast yet. And it really is a unique thing. So maybe describe what it is. So this is, I think, what a patriarchal blessing, this was to me at the time, is it really is a footprint for your life. It gives its personal revelation from a patriarch who is a man who is called um, to give a specific blessing from the priesthood specific to your life yeah. and your path. Yeah. And it is directed for you. And it gives guidance through all these stages of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think as you read it as a 25-year-old woman and a 50-year-old woman, because it's been... 25 years since I've gotten mine mm-hmm. and I can go back and look at it now and I find it's the same words. The words haven't changed, right? <laughs> it's just like a classic book. It's a Shakespeare play. It's there, mm. but you can see different meaning at different stages in your life. And it's something that's specifically precious and specifically guided by the spirit and directed for my life. Mm. And I've, you so know, powerful. I've seen my husband's, I've read his, I've looked, I've been there through two of my children getting theirs now. And you see how that patriarch is directed by a spirit. It is, there is no other way that that guidance does not come from our father in heaven. It, it, that's the only place it could come from. Because, yeah. because man cannot come with that kind of a revelation without it coming from a father in heaven. Amen. It is precious, precious. And I think that was that was a big step in my life because there were some very distinct promises made to me as part of that process. Um, there was a promise in there that said I would be a mother in Zion. And looking at my life and my background with my mom and all of these things, I'm like, 
that was one of the things I wanted more than ever was to have a family that was eternal, that was secure, that was protected, mm-hmm. and that was, was not going to go through some of the challenges that I had faced growing up. Um, and I made that a goal for myself. You know, I didn't want this family that I had been promised in this patriarchal blessing. And you don't know at the time if that's in later, when that's going to happen. You don't know. But I wanted that so desperately, so desperately for my family. And so I had to take the time to make that commitment to myself that if this was going to happen, it was something I had to pursue and I had to work on. And I think Heavenly Father puts us in places once we do what is right and we make those good choices to be able to find those things that we need to find and those people we need to find in place. And that little bitty town of Fillmore, America, if anybody's ever stopped through there, <laughs> you're like, I'm going to grab a hamburger and, and I'm going to keep on. moving on and go through Maverick or whatever and just, you know, not stop. But at the time, there wasn't much. There was a little grocery store and some gas stations and it was just a little town. And that sweet sister, who was such a missionary to me, took it upon herself to be <laughs> to, to, to be a matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Yep, that whole song. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. Mm. And she, um, there was this little blonde-headed man that was so sweet there working at the hospital with her that was my age. And she says, you guys, you need to, you know, and he was in the same ward. And he was in the young men's program in that ward. Wow. And he was living with his uncle at the time there in Fillmore and working at the hospital as well, doing um, medical procedures there. We were probably four blocks apart in that tiny little town, but we were both working in the youth program, which, how does that happen? Right. Right. And so we had this really neat opportunity to... Um, take the youth to go do baptisms in Manti because that was a temple associated with with Fillmore at the time you know now there's these temples that are a lot closer but at the time Manti is where we went Mm. and I hadn't taken out my endowments even though I was working with the youth you know I wasn't quite there and so what was my position there I could be baptized with the kids so I could have that opportunity yeah well, this sweetheart of a man, who is now my husband, <laughs> um, was also one of the youth leaders that was baptizing all these kids. And man. so I got to go and have the man who was going to be my future husband baptize me in the temple for other people. Mm. And that was the same temple we ended up getting married in. Oh, I mean, it's like this. Goosebumps. Oh, it's <laughs> at the time you're like, you look back on that. And you're like, what? Angels were just like, they were like, they were, they were, they were moving us around <laughs> in the little bubble. And we started dating in about, oh goodness, I was 25. And so, you know, we just slowly started dating, you know, because I had just done this whole break off engagement weirdness. Hard to come off from or off yeah, from come back and from. he was kind of coming off of one too okay remarkably so you're both hesitant both kind of hesitant about some of this um and in the lds world of marriage we were a little older <laughs> which i think is great yeah you know we both had grown-up jobs and 
things and so we were taking things just a little slow which was fantastic mm -hmm. we just slowly kind of dated and kind of spent time with each other and other people too did that whole thing and after a while I think it just kind of was one of those things that just happened this time versus the other gentleman I had was engaged to there was that light and there was that difference and there was that time and I I think we just because we were both really hesitant at first you know and we took our time I guess you know probably more than the but we dated for a good six months almost seven months mm -hmm. just here and there and weekends and evenings and spent time doing things together until we figured out that we're probably the best we're ever going to be and we better <laughs> just just make a decision or not mm -hmm. and um it kind of ended up being meant to be. Yeah. It was it was kind of the picture perfect story, I think, you know. Um we had a lot in common, we were interested in each other and it it was so good. But all of that happened because of the way, like you say, angels were pushing the bubble to kind mm -hmm. of line up the puzzle pieces. It just took me a lot longer. To, I had to come to a place to get to that bubble. Sure. You know. And a lot it, of decisions. A lot of decisions make. and places. And um, my sweetheart was super good about, you know, he took temple prep classes with me. He'd been on a mission. He'd been mm. to Argentina. <laughs> he didn't need to do any of that. Mm. But he did. He took the time to do all of that with me. And who was the one that went with me through this whole process? It was that sweet sister. I want to meet Grandma Susie. Grandma Susie is this amazing human. She's <laughs> so neat. And she was the one, you know, her and, and my um, my in-laws are super great. They just, at first, they, oh, they're so funny. Mm -hmm. um, sweetest, sweetest people. They are the ones that kind of helped me through that whole process, going through temple prep classes and um, making, you know, doing my endowments and doing all of that because I had to do it without a mom, like my mom. Yeah. She had a super hard time. We had really rough time oh. with the whole kind of temple thing. She, yeah. she was really, um, offended for a lot of years from oh. that. And that is because I think it's, um, when we got married, we did a whole temple ceiling, but we did the ring ceremony like you do now, mm -hmm. which was great. But she had a really hard time with it. Sure. You know, it was completely foreign to her. Yeah. You know, and it's, again, a cultural thing. Yeah. People hear just like it's normal. It's mm. not normal to the rest of the world to go inside, to not have people be able to go inside when you get married. Yeah. And she had a really hard time with that for a lot of years. I think back on that time, you know, after the fact, she, you know, once I started having babies, lots of things changed. Yes. But you know, at the time it was rough and it was hard. But I think, again, that whole member missionary support circle that I had made a big difference. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize how much a ward family is mm -hmm. to a new convert. You have to really surround them with that rainbows and unicorns bubble because mm -hmm. that is what their support system becomes. Right. Because a lot of times they don't have family support. And in that, in my case, that's what I didn't have. So my ward family was my support. They were my moms and dads and grandmas and aunties and who I went to with questions. And they were the ones that helped support me and figure things out. And, 
you know, from how do, how do I do this? What do I do here? How do I go? You know, they were the ones that I went to. Beautiful. So it's, I think if people ever question and wonder about their ability to be a missionary at home, it's, it's possible. Yeah. You don't have to go to, you know, the Great Wall of China to make a difference in your own community. Mm. Amen. It's it's kindness. It's ministering. It's opening your heart to to someone to see the true person that you are, and it makes yeah. a huge difference. I think. So well said. So, how do you think your life would be different if you hadn't joined the church? There's. There's a crazy country song, and you're probably going to totally laugh at me when I say this, but <laughs> I just spent the weekend um, with my daughter at a wedding in Pocatello. One of her mission companions was getting married, so we made a dash to Pocatello for eight hours, went to a wedding, and then made a dash home for another eight. But wow, there was a song that, was, that she was playing, um, and it talks about... Um, being a redneck woman with a baby on your hip. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that probably would have been my life. Mm. Um, not so much living in the backwoods of Kentucky kind of redneck, but uh-huh. I think I would have probably been living um, in that same single mom divorced life with a couple of kids. Wow. With that man that I had, was going to marry and be divorced from. I, I really think it would have not been a good place. And I think that that perpetual single mom syndrome thing would have been down to another generation. I really, really, really do. Mm. And I wouldn't have known any better. Right. I wouldn't have known any better. It would have been the life you were raised with. Yep. This is life. This is life. This is what you do. And I think by the experiences that I had from that sweet family, I knew there was a difference and I knew there was a different way and that it didn't have to be that way. I had a, when we were, when my husband and I had gotten engaged, I had gone home and um, I, I met with a dear, dear friend of mine, her mom, that I had just loved, you know, kids that you play with as kids, one of those kind of moms, you know? Yes. And she took me aside and she says, do you realize what eternity means? She said, I, I had to ask someone what a temple wedding was. And she said, I had to, I had to figure out what, eternity, what this sealed for time and all eternity was, what this meant. She says, do you realize this is a covenant with God? And I said, I absolutely realize this. And that's why this is what I have to have. I said, I don't want it to go the other way ever again. Hmm. And it was really poignant that she asked the question at yes. the time. Yes. Because it's a, it's a very thought-provoking moment mm-hmm. in, a, in a young person's life. Is, you know, I think a lot of people that are brought up that way that is just the way things are done you're married for time you know time and eternity mm-hmm. and you to understand the difference between what time is and what eternity is that those bonds can't be they're not broken and i said i want this so desperately i said i don't want to do it another way i don't want to have to reconnect dots i want the dots to be connected to stay to stay what an inspired question that has stayed with you forever. Forever. It's, it's just a neat, exp- it's, it was a neat time because I think it made her think too. Yeah. 
can't think it made her think too. Sounds like it. So it's so amazing to think about the little girl whose mother was being abused would one day break out. Yeah. One day break out and have what you have now. Yes. And it's you have a wonderful family. I, I think it's, you know, there's there's ways to look at things like you say that it, it could have gone down that path very easily. I mean, it was a matter of months and times and, you know, it could have, I could have been that rednecked woman on a porch with babies, mm-hmm. but I had to choose to work hard to not have it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think very early on, like I said, there were the seeds that were planted, the bricks that were built for me be, to, to see that light and to know. And I, I think, like you say, a moth to a flame, you can see it and you want it and you it's it's almost like you'll do anything to struggle to get there. Mm. So I think when you're when you're looking at a new convert and looking at a person that wants so desperately what you have, it's it's hard to see what they're coming from mm-hmm. because all you're seeing is that that new countenance that new converts have, but there is usually history behind the countenance. Yeah. So it's a neat thing. It's a neat thing. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I've loved it. So the last question is, how do you feel about Jesus Christ? How do I feel about Jesus Christ is an amazing question because I think he is the main difference. My life is the way it is today because I think without that opportunity for repentance at the age that I was at, you know, and like I said, it's not that I was an alcoholic. It's not that I was a drug addict or this, yes, did I like to drink coffee? Oh, desperately. <laughs> I can smell it tomorrow. Mm. And I can, I was a huge, you know, tea drinker when I grew up because I was in the South. That's all, we did we drink more tea than we did milk. It was <laughs> crazy. So did I have some things? Yes, that I had to work on. But I think without that opportunity to see what the truer picture of what the Savior did for us I wouldn't be where I was today, where I am right now. Mm. A mom with four kids, with two of them that are doing missions and having the opportunity to to have my children in um, seminary and in places where they were safe and where they had Sunday dinners and they had the opportunity to have a dad at home and to see grandpas that, you know, were there at their ball games. Mm. That is not what I grew up with. That is not where I was at. You know, I have that for my kids because the Savior sacrificed for me and all of my oddities, you know, even even now when I am so down or have such a wretched day, yeah. I still have that opportunity can, to converse with my Father in Heaven and the Savior and just pour out my heart. Mm. I wouldn't have had that before. Would not have had it. Would not have had it. So my relationship with the Savior is precious to me, just absolutely precious. Mm. And, I, and now I would not trade that for anything on this earth because it is, it is worth more to me to have my heart and my spirit content than anything. So if anybody ever, ever questions about that, that relationship with our Savior is probably the most precious thing you can have and it's something no one can take away not one person can ever remove that precious relationship between us and the savior 
because he sacrificed so much for us to have that. Yes. Incredible. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I loved hearing your testimony. We appreciate your witness. Thank you. Well, friends, so many beautiful blessings poured out of Lisa's heart into this recording. She spoke of things that used to be foreign to her and are now a part of her everyday life, sacred things, such as priesthood authority, missionary service, patriarchal blessings, temple worship, eternal marriage, and dinner on Sunday. Maybe some of these words piqued your interest. If you are curious, if you are a seeker, if you are feeling that something might be missing in your life, as Lisa did as a young adult, I invite you to learn more about the restored gospel at comeuntochrist.org. I testify that there is a lot of light to be found there. Thank you for listening, and remember, when thou art converted, strengthen each other.